We're lucky the Fallen haven't completely picked it clean. Will it fly? I can make it work. You know that feeling where the first moment you see someone, it's like they have a big gold star around them and you have to get to know them? Well, there's this girl. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Friend Request. I'm Colin Detmar from Scanline Media. And I'm Jennifer Uncle, also from Scanline Media. And on this show, we address characters and relationships in video games. And uh, so we each bring either a pair or a character. I think this week we both bought, both brought a pair. And we'll uh, we'll dive right into tackling what we like about them, what we didn't, what was compelling. Um, Indeed. And mine from this week is the Ghost and the Guardian from Destiny One and Two. Um, so in Destiny, you have a little bit of a creative character in terms of the Guardian. You create your Guardian, who is this like brought back from the dead uh human aligned like they are not all human species but they're all human i guess that's the line we should draw right even if you're even if you're a robot you're with the humans you're human yeah um, you're with the faction the humans so um so you could be like a robot you could be like uh an awoken which are like magical space people or you could just be a normal vanilla human um but you're one of them that died and you're brought back to life by a ghost. And the ghost is like, hey, I'm from the Traveler. He's this all-powerful... Well, I shouldn't gender it, I guess. It, it is this all-powerful space orb that appears to be sort of asleep or in a coma or something. But it has power, and it sends us out to find people to sort of fight for it. So I'm choosing you. You're my you're my guardian, and I'm your ghost. And let's go, and let's, let's make a difference. Um... And as you might expect in a first-person shooter, there's not a ton of characterization for the Guardian in Destiny 1, but the Guardian does have, like, a few choice lines and a few cutscenes. Um, you know, there's there's some animation, of course. It's The cutscenes are in third-person, so you get to see the Guardian react to things, but then also the Guardian occasionally, occasionally speaks up, uh, doesn't let, for example, like, when they go to get help from a faction called the Awoken, and the Awoken are not super friendly... The Guardian does not just take that. The Guardian the Guardian has some, some mouth to them about that. And generally you get the idea that sort of the situation between Guardian and Ghost is the Ghost does most of the talking, the Ghost does most of the sort of like looking into things, and the Guardian deals with the problems, but sometimes the Guardian is going to speak up, and when they do, usually they have something to say, right? Yeah, it's kind of like how occasionally... The Spartan would chime in in the first Halo just to add his two cents to a particular situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty similar. Um, and going into Destiny Two, you had some some changes to a lot of elements of the writing because Destiny Two was overall a big course correction from Destiny One. Um, and the ghost changes. And your guardian changes, and we'll talk about some of the ghost changes that also happen in Destiny 1. But I feel like the main thing I want to focus on is the fact that in Destiny 2, your guardian never speaks. And I found this like a really frustrating regression. I don't like silent protagonists in situations where, like, where I don't feel like it makes sense or 
well, I mean, I guess this is this is sort of setting a setting a situation up not to lo- not to lose, right? Which is like I don't like things when they're bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, I don't feel like there's any like the reason to do a silent protagonist generally is because you want some sort of like player self insertion, and that's not going to happen with the guardian because I'm not an immortal space wizard. Like, I don't. I don't understand what they're trying to achieve by making the Guardian silent. I don't know. what. How did you feel having played through Destiny's campaign, Destiny 2's campaign? I guess you played through both. Yeah, I I played through almost all of Destiny 1 except for the very last expansion. And then uh, I played through all of the main story content in Destiny 2 so far. To me, the translation from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2 feels like... Destiny 1 had a lot of turnover it feels like in terms of the creative end of it to the point where when the project was wrapping up they still weren't entirely sure what to do with the pieces that they had so it was this weird eclectic thing where sometimes the guardian would be chiming in a bit more often than others other times they would be more or less silent and even though it was incredibly uneven and rough in many ways it had a bit of character because of that. And their solution for doing for cleaning that up in Destiny 2 is, okay, now that we have the reins, we're going to make this Guardian silent, and we'll have the story happen around the Guardian rather than the Guardian being an active participant. Like, most all of the cutscenes are focusing on the main villain from the Red Legion, or... The three main guardian leaders, Zavala, Cade, and Akora. And all of the most of the climactic scenes that happen are with those trio or with the Red Legion villain. There's there's not much for your character to do other than be the pin that puts it together in various moments. And mm-hmm. it feels very much like you're left out of the process in terms of deciding where to go next or how to put certain things together. Like, it's implied that you do a lot more than you actually do, and in a very taped-together way. Like, you can feel your presence... I mean, you can feel the absence of of your presence within this story by how silent you are. Yeah, it's weird that you put it that way, because I think you're right. And, like, in most ways, Destiny 2 feels like a way more cohesive experience than Destiny 1, except for sort of the role of the player, which feels way less clear. Like, Destiny 1, every every mission started like, Guardian, we've got this problem, we need you to go deal with it. Every single mission was like that. And this one, it's just sort of like, I guess I'm here and shooting things while other people talk about what's happening. It doesn't, you know, you felt... It was weird. Um, You're the roadie getting the band back together. Yeah, and like the other thing is, this is this is just like a me- game mechanics thing, but mechanics tell stories, right? Um, the character customization, like building your character, I went back and checked. It is exactly the same as Destiny One. They made zero changes. There are no new hairstyles. There are no new like tattoos. There's no new anything. It is exactly the same from Destiny One, and. Some of it looks pretty bad. There's some, like, you can... I've seen a lot of characters where your your cheeks look real screwed up or something, and it's not like you're pulling with all these punny... Sl- funny, these, excuse me. You're not 
messing with all these slides to try and make something goofy. It's just sort of like, nope, this most of these faces just look bad. Um, it's weird that in a game like this, there there's no option to customize yourself once you've created a character. There's no like like World of Warcraft, you could go get a haircut or like you know Final Fantasy fourteen. There's no option to do that, and they didn't. I guess what I'm trying to say is for for the silent protagonist, which is usually to help people, you know, self-insert, they didn't allow any extra customization options or any way to sort of make it easier to to put yourself in your guardian's shoes, which is really strange. Yeah, you were talking about this earlier, and you... The way that you put it made it sound like at some point they were thinking about whether you would be able to take these Destiny 2 characters and move them into Destiny 1, and that being the only reason, but they don't give you any reason to go back to Destiny 1, so... No. That feels pointless. It does. It does. I don't, like, I don't... If they had, like, the other thing is, given the way they portray my Guardian in Destiny 2, if... It could be possible that I'll take off my helmet and be like, wait, that wasn't my hairstyle. I don't know, because I'll never see it, because... They've given me no reason to care about my Guardian. They've done such a bad job of the characterization of the Guardian in 2. Um, the other point, which is one where I don't think we're necessarily going to agree, is on the Ghost. So, in Destiny 1, originally, the Ghost was voice acted by Peter Dinklage. Um, and he was, like... People did not originally like his voice acting. I didn't originally like his voice acting because people felt it was really flat and unemotive. And then some people made the smart alf comment of, well, like, of course it is. He's a robot. But that doesn't really answer things, given the state of robots in that setting. Yeah, and Cortana in Halo was very emotive. Like, she, even before the corruption stuff happened later in the series, she got angry and was a lot more alive than what ghost was originally mm-hmm. and then they switch to nolan north who uh continues through destiny 2 and increasingly over time like he he was he was the switch in taken king and then continued through rise of iron and now into destiny 2 and i feel like more and more they're making him this sort of like energetic excitable uh voice of just sort of like wonder about the world um and i don't think he does a bad job but the more they push in this direction, the more I come to miss the original Peter Dinklage voice, because one of the things about that Peter Dinklage voice is you've got to have the context of what the ghost is, right? He is this little, like, this tiny little robot, about a little bit bigger than your your fist, who is sort of sent out to go find, like, it's, you know, basically find his soulmate, right? Like, not, you know, but, like, basically, like, there's there's one person out there who's right for you, and you'll find them. And he looked for hundreds of years before finding you. And so, like, he isn't fresh and new to this world. This isn't a world full of wonder and shit he's never seen before. This is a world he's flown through for a couple centuries looking for you, and he finally found you. And that original Dinklage voice acting, like, he didn't sound, like, completely disinterested, but he never really... He sounded occasionally just very, like, nonchalant and matter-of-fact about the extraordinary... Because to him, it was the everyday. That wizard came from the moon. It's just like, oh, that's good tactical information. That makes sense. <laughs> that's not a... Of course. Of course that wizard came from the moon. I went to the moon like a dozen times. I didn't find anybody cool there, so I came back to Earth. Like, 
that's that's what I liked about that that I miss with with Nolan North is him sounding so astonished by everything when he should be one of the most world weary motherfuckers you've ever met. So I kind of agree with that, except I feel like Peter Dinklage's performance was less disaffected in terms of I've done this stuff before, but oftentimes it sounded like he was reading a storybook to children, especially that Hmm. wizard came from the moonline. The way that he inflects certain lines feels like he's reading sentences off a paper and is trying to make it more exciting for his childlike listeners. (laughs) Just There's a certain cadence to the way that he delivers it where he still very much wants to be this respectable presented person but he throws in a little quote-unquote fun from the for the kids and, like a uh, little lilt a little lilt at the end a little jump up at the end so that wizard came from the moon and you're like hmm yeah peter kind of like yeah. that i can yeah yeah you put it like that i can kind of hear it yeah but i also in terms of Nolan north i don't feel like they're doing much interesting with that specific direction either like the most interesting he got was near the very beginning where he was scared in Destiny 2. He's scared out of his mind that you guys lost the light. So he's very fragile, speaks erratically, and sounds like he just wants to hide in a corner somewhere and hope this all shakes out well. But as you progress, get the light back, all that, he starts to ramp up. But even when he's ramping up, he's. He's kind of annoying at times, like, more so than most robotic companions tend to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I mean, there's some th- some parts that just made me, like, anti-ghost, right? And this is more the writing, but, you know, like... So one of the characters I like, who is, is hit or miss, but I like the AI that you encounter named Failsafe. Um, Failsafe is the AI of a ship that has crashed and crashed a while ago and is in a lot of pieces, but the AI is still online and trying to sort of make sense of things and help people. Um, and there are some situations where the ghost will just act like a dick to fail safe for no reason. And it kind of pisses me off. So I don't know. I, eh, it's just, that's just inconsistent characterization, I guess. Yeah. You get the impression he might be acting that way because, she has uh she has this mental break more or less in her coding because of the accident and he sees that as a threat of sorts but it sounds more like he's just annoyed by her in a way that is very catty and overdramatic yeah there's a there's a one of the strikes you'll do uh failsafe uh, sort of like is is on the radio with you and the rest of the team, and then she sort of pulls you in a separate channel to be like, "Hey, they're messing up. Like, I'm I'm a ship. They're messing up my body, and I'm really worried. Can you guys help?" And then you go back to the main channel, and Ghost is like, "Sorry, you know, Failsafe was just being a worrywart." And it's like, "Oh, fuck yourself, Ghost. No, she wasn't." <laughs> wow. Just like this really dismissive. Uh, that that line stuck with me as as really obnoxious. Anyway. That's, I guess I don't have that much more to say about, about Ghost and Guardian. We can move on to yours. Okay, so I thought it would be interesting to talk about Sam and Lonnie from Gone Home, the first game made by Fulbright Company, which is made out of 
various former Bioshock developers, and uh, it's slightly responsible for the big boom and what's called often, well, initially derisively, but a lot of people refer to them now as walking simulators, where you just walk around and experience a story and do some light puzzle solving. Anyway, you play Katie Greenbrier, and the premise is you're coming back from a long trip out of the country, and you come home to a house that's completely deserted when you have a father, a mother, and a sister, but none of them are there. Only a note on the front door saying, hey, don't investigate what's happened here. We, it's best that you don't know. And of course, since this is a video game, you spend the rest of the game looking through boxes and cabinets and listening to voicemail to figure out exactly what happened. So during the time that you were away, your sister, Sam, was going to high school, and she's the creative type, the kind that fills notebooks with various drawings and has something of a rebellious streak. And along the way, she ends up meeting this other girl named Lonnie, who is a military cadet of some kind. Like, it's after school, she's planning on joining the military. And through the way that you explore the house, you see this progression of them becoming great friends and starting this romantic relationship together. Like, you'll come across the mixtapes they share together, see the zines they draw together with various Riot girl and anarchist imagery. Like, for Halloween, they both go as pirates and then make a whole comic based on their awesome pirate personas. It's pretty cute. And uh, over time, they... Over time, because they were acting out in school together, the parents start to catch on that something was going on. And Sam kind of gets super depressed about that, along with the knowledge that, hey, at some point after school ends, Lonnie's going to be gone too. And military isn't exactly a thing where you can just pop in whenever and say hi. It's going to be a long way away, and they're going to be more or less separated for what feels like forever to them. You get a bit of teasing, which... Th this is probably the weakest part of the game to me. They slightly tease that one or the two of them may have committed suicide over it. Just based on the way that the attic is made incredibly foreboding and it's locked off until you get through the rest of the story bits. And one of the bits at the very end makes them sound incredibly distraught and depressed in a way that a lot of tragic queer stories tend to be. Mm -hmm. But eventually you do make your way up into the attic and discover that both of them... Well, you essentially discover that Lonnie 
ditched the bus that she was supposed to take in order to get to the military program. And the two of them are on the run together, essentially leaving behind all their responsibilities and just being out together in the wild. Well, in the wild. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. Being together on their own, away from the lives they previously led. And it's a sweet end to a setup that typically ends in one or both of the characters severely hurt or dead. So here's a controversial opinion, right? I don't think that ending's that positive at all. I think it's nice for like a second and then you're like, oh, so they're like hours away from anyone they know with no money and no job and no skills. That's going to go super well for them. And it's 1995. Right. Like, I don't, I don't, I thought like, I thought it was a really short-sighted ending, honestly. Because like the game feels like it plays it like, oh, isn't this nice how it worked out? And it's like, yeah, it's nice that they're together. They're super screwed. Yeah, it's the way that I read it is their first few months, maybe even years together are going to be super rough times, but eventually they would figure out a way to scrap things together and live a happier life. But yeah, maybe that's just wishful thinking from a girl who's constantly frustrated with the way most media involving queer people ends the most depressing way possible. Well, I certainly think the intention was to give them a, a nicer ending. Like I've, you know, and as far as intention matters, you know, like the, what you actually turn out is, is, you know, the, the art speaks for itself, but Steve Gaynor has done interviews and talked about like, you know, he, he put out the final version of the game and then people came back to him more like, Oh yeah, I really thought I was going to, you know, like find their bodies in the attic. And he's like, what? Oh, Shit, yeah, I could totally see how you read it that way. That wasn't my intention at all to make you think that. So, um, so I think, like, I think certainly it seems like he intended them to have a happy ending. And I guess for me, it's just sort of like, it's, it's a little hard to suspend disbelief and be like, yep, nope, I'm sure living on your own as teenagers with no help from anybody will go super great. I don't know. Yeah, intent is kind of hard to read with Gone Home because, They've gone back and forth playing up the horror elements or not when the only real horror element is one jump scare of a light bulb burning out. <laughs> but Oh, fucking got me, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they like to go back and forth on how intentional various elements of that were, like the Ouija board and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a nice like it's a nice story, and it, you know it kicked off kind of a you know not not single handedly, but it did kind of kick off a, rena- a renaissance in games as far as like queer stories and also just like you know the the walking simulator genre, right? This this approach to like narrative centric immersive sims, I guess is is the way I would phrase it. Um, yeah, and it's nice and- that it seemed to last in that. And we're still getting games that are trying various things within that format, and that's really neat to see. And oh. also got introduced to a lot of really good Riot, Riot Girl bands because of that, so that was fun. <laughs> yeah, so ultimately it seems like a, a, a relationship that has been pretty important for this industry, but also, I, you know, 
I feel like you, you've said what needs to be said about it, too. So, Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening. This has been another episode of Friend Request. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and... No, they're not on Stitcher yet. Maybe I should get us on Stitcher. Um, but you can find us on iTunes for sure. I know that one for sure. And the other services, I'll check. And if we're not there, I'll get on there. Um, <laughs> give us a rating or review. Tell your friend about it. It's a nice, you know, under 30-minute podcast. So you can just pop it in, make time for it in your day. I want to give a big thank you to Krista Lee for use of her track Hearts Burning Bright, which is our intro and outro here on the show. You can find that and more of her music at opoorpup.bandcamp.com. Uh, I'm going to shout out our official site Twitter, which is at Scanline Media. Uh, we're actually keeping that one active these days, so you can tweet at Scanline Media if you have any feedback or comments or, you know, you just want to shoot the shit. We'll be around. Uh, Jen is at JBU3 on Twitter if you want to contact her personally. Uh, we also have more content uh, at Scanline Media, which is ScanlineMedia.com. We have articles and other podcasts and the occasional video. And if you want to help us, uh, we have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. And pretty soon, we should have some exciting stuff to announce about the Patreon. So that'll be, that'll be pretty cool. Uh, thanks, folks. We'll see you later. See ya. See ya.